The Devil Within, the hit true crime podcast, is back with a terrifying journey into the mind of a madman. In the 1970s, New York City had it all. Hip-hop, punk rock, and the Son of Sam. The Devil Within, a season in hell, is available now wherever you get your podcasts. Do you want to listen to this episode ad-free? You can do that with our brand new Apple Podcast subscription in the Apple Podcast app. With our Apple Podcast subscription, you'll be able to listen ad-free and you'll get special access to our 11-episode bonus archive. Welcome to the Murder Diaries. I'm Natalie. And I'm Paige. It was the perfect date. Warm candlelights twinkled on the table, making the glasses look like enchanted jewels. Amber Frey looked across the table at her date. At first, the blonde single mom had been nervous about being set up on a blind date, but she trusted her best friend. Then a tall man in a fitted suit who happened to look a little bit like Ben Affleck showed up at her table, and he introduced himself. Amber looked up at the man, and in that moment, she knew that her life was about to change forever. Miles away, a woman lounged on her couch. The baby boy in her belly made moving around more difficult, but despite how challenging the pregnancy had been so far, Lacey Peterson felt lucky. She had a healthy baby and a husband that worked hard for their little family. She knew that in a little more than a month, her baby boy would enter the world and their lives would change forever. Both women sat at the precipice of a life-altering event. Soon they would be forever tied together by a tragedy that would rock the world because one of the women would end up dead. Her name was Lacey Peterson. This is her story. You still think it's in my head I'm walking with the dead. Scott Peterson was born to Lee and Jackie Peterson on October 24th, 1972. On the face of it, he had a typical American suburban childhood. Cub Scout outings on the weekends, Little League fishing trips with the perfect American dad, and weekends spent playing a few rounds of golf. But life wasn't always the picture of perfection for his mother, Jackie. In fact, when Jackie was just a little girl, tragedy struck. Her father, John Harvey Latham, was the owner of a salvage yard and tire shop. One evening, as John was locking up the shop, a disgruntled ex-employee confronted him and struck him over and over and over again with a pipe, killing him. The motive for the gruesome murder was simply that the ex-employee wanted the $200 that John owed him at the time. John was just 36 years old and he left behind four children. Making the tragedy even more heart-wrenching was the fact that it took place on December 21st, just a few days before Christmas. No one could have imagined that decades later, the family would once again be hit with another Christmas tragedy. Jackie's mother was shattered from the grief and from the pressure of being a single mother to four children who were all under the age of seven. She couldn't cope, and after a while, Jackie and her siblings were sent to live in orphanages. Since Jackie was the only girl amongst her siblings, she was separated from her brothers and was sent to be raised by nuns. When Jackie was in high school, her mother had healed enough to re-enter Jackie's life. But the hands of fate weren't done with Jackie just yet, and her mother passed away shortly after Jackie reconnected with her. As Jackie made her way through adulthood, she didn't have the easiest time finding love. She fell pregnant twice, but both times she felt that the timing wasn't right and she gave the children up for adoption. The third time she fell pregnant, Jackie decided to keep the baby. After a few years of life as a single mother, Jackie met Lee Arthur Peterson. Lee had come out of a long-term relationship and he had children of his own. Together, Jackie and Arthur had Scott, 
their golden child. Not only did Scott do well at school, he was also a truly gifted golfer, just like his dad. By the time he was 14, he was beating all of his father's best scores. And when he graduated high school, he was considered one of the best junior golfers in all of San Diego. But it wasn't just his golfing prowess that made Scott shine in his parents' eyes. According to some friends of the family, Scott could never do anything wrong. He was allowed to get away with things the other kids weren't, and his half-siblings thought of him as the favorite. Perhaps it was because Scott completed Jackie's idea of the picture-perfect family, or maybe it was something else. Either way, as Scott grew from a boy into a man, it seemed that no one would ever be good enough for her golden boy. Once Scott graduated from high school, he accepted a partial scholarship at Arizona State University. He was steadily on his way to becoming a golf superstar. It's easy to wonder what could have been if Scott had continued down this path. Maybe we would be talking about Scott Peterson, the pro golfer. Instead, he gained his fame for reasons that are far more nefarious. Scott didn't last very long at Arizona State. He had a transfer to Cuesta College after he was kicked off the golf team at Arizona State after being caught taking a young golf recruit out drinking. The recruit's dad found out what happened and complained. And that was it for Scott. And just like that, the facade of perfection started to show some cracks. After a brief time at Cuesta College, Scott moved to Cal Poly where he graduated with his degree. It was during his time studying at Cal Poly that Scott met a gorgeous brunette with a radiant smile. Her name was Lacey Peterson. She was bubbly and outgoing and made sure that Scott knew she was attracted to him too. After meeting Scott at the cafe where he worked, Lacey gave him her number. Then she called her mother to let her know she had found the man she was going to marry. Growing up, Lacey had seen firsthand what a good marriage could be like. She was raised by her stepfather who had married her mother when Lacey was just two years old. Her stepfather treated Lacey like his own child and by all accounts, she had a stable and nurturing childhood. Lacey was born May 4th, 1975 to Sharon and Dennis Rocha. Later, her mother married Lacey's stepfather, John Gransky. Her father, Dennis, owned a dairy farm and Lacey spent a lot of time there growing up. Perhaps it was there that she developed a green thumb and Lacey went on to graduate from Cal Poly with a degree in ornamental horticulture. Scott and Lacey started dating soon after they met. Apparently, Scott was head over heels for Lacey, so in love that some would later say he gave up his dreams of becoming a professional golfer just to be with her. Lacey graduated from college first and started working while Scott finished off his senior year. A few years later, they tied the knot in front of 150 of their closest friends and family. Even after a few years together, it seemed like the couple was still in their honeymoon period. And by all means, it should have been the happiest time of their lives. And again, from the outside, it might have appeared that way. The reality was far less picture perfect, though. See, Scott had started to look elsewhere for love and affection. Just one year after they had said their I do's, Scott had his first affair. There's no way of knowing whether Lacey found out about this affair or not. If she did, she never let on, and no one was any the wiser. Despite what Scott was getting up to outside the home, they went full steam ahead in starting their life together. Not long after Scott graduated college, Lacey and Scott opened up a restaurant using cash his parents had given them. Scott's parents were skeptical about this business venture, for some reason, they didn't think that his son could make this burger joint work. Lacey and Scott worked really hard to make this restaurant work, but eventually they sold the restaurant and moved to Modesto, Lacey's hometown. 
The driving factor behind this move to Modesto was that they wanted to start a family. They dreamed of the picture-perfect suburban life. Two and a half kids, white picket fence, the whole nine. To them, that was success. Once they moved to Modesto, Scott got a job. He became a fertilizer salesman. It's a tad less glamorous than his dream of being a pro golfer, but it paid the bills. It also made it possible for the couple to buy their first home together. Lacey worked part-time as a substitute teacher, but for the most part, she spent her energy on being the perfect housewife. She cooked and cleaned and spent hours watching the grandmaster of all housewives, Martha Stewart. Around this time, the couple was also trying for a baby, but they were having some fertility issues. Eventually, just as they were contemplating fertility treatment, Lacey fell pregnant with a baby boy. This pregnancy brings us back to the start of the episode. Lacey on the couch and pregnant in a home she had bought with her husband, a home that should have held a lifetime of good memories. She was full of hopes and dreams for her future and for her baby. But not even a beautiful home, a supportive family, or a much-wanted baby on the way could protect Lacey from the tragedy that was about to destroy her world. If there were any problems in their marriage, Lacey and Scott hid them well. Their friends have said the couple seemed happy. Scott's parents had seen the couple a few weeks before Christmas, and Jackie remembers thinking about how blessed the family was because none of the Peterson siblings had gotten divorced. Their lives were a reflection of everything Jackie had always wanted for her kids, that they would be happy and successful in the most generic sense of the word. But things aren't always what they seem. Because while Lacey was dealing with a difficult pregnancy, Scott was out whining and dining a massage therapist named Amber Frey. And on November 20th, 2002, Scott walked into the Elephant Bar in Fresno. He was there for a blind date, not with his heavily pregnant wife. No, he was there to meet up with a woman he had been set up with through an acquaintance. This acquaintance was a woman named Sean Sibley. Sean had met Scott at a work conference and the two hit it off. Sean was in a relationship at the time, so no romantic connection came from their time together. But she remembers Scott asking her if she had any friends who were looking for a committed relationship. That's right. He didn't ask for no strings or friends with benefits. He was on the hunt for an exclusive relationship outside of his existing exclusive marriage. Being married with a pregnant wife at home was just a trivial detail to Scott. Nothing that would stop him from getting Amber's number from Sean and calling her to set up a date. Amber had been waiting a few minutes when Scott walked into the elephant bar. The pair had arranged to meet at the front entrance and then head to dinner. But once Scott arrived, the date took an unusual turn. Instead of heading over to the restaurant, Scott asked if it would be okay for Amber to come with him to his hotel room. And now a word from today's sponsor. Natalie, you know what's been so helpful now that I'm getting my kitchen redone? Tell me. HelloFresh. I could have told you that. I don't have to worry about going to the grocery store and overstocking my kitchen while I'm getting it ready to get redone. And I can get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to my doorstep. It's super affordable and it's no shock that it's America's number one meal kit. Plus, fall is right around the corner and HelloFresh is here to help you plan for the busy season ahead with tasty dishes delivered right to your door. Simply choose your recipes and pick your delivery date. Then lay back and enjoy the last days of summer knowing dinner is covered. You can add snacks, sides, and more to your weekly HelloFresh order. Just simply shop HelloFresh Market and take your pick from a curated selection of over 100 add-on items. Like I said, I'm prepping my kitchen, I'm redoing a couple of things, and HelloFresh has been so helpful while I do that. 
When the renovation starts, I'm not gonna have a bunch of overstocked ingredients all over the place. I simply just open up my HelloFresh bag, check out the recipe and do what it tells me. It's seriously that easy. And that tasty. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50diaries and use code 50diaries for 50% off plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash 50diaries and use code 50diaries for 50% off plus free shipping. Everything is seriously so easy and so yummy. You don't want to miss this. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Most of us would probably see red flags right about now. After all, they had met only seconds ago and barely knew each other outside of a couple messages to arrange the date. However, Scott gave a good excuse. He said that he'd been working all day and desperately needed a shower and change. Sounds reasonable enough, right? Well, Amber agreed, and together they drove over to the Radisson Hotel. Once they arrived, Amber sat down while Scott started rifling through his bag for something. There was Amber, a petite woman alone in a hotel room with a man she had just met. This sounds like the pinnacle of a true crime case. We have to ask ourselves, too, what was he looking for inside of his bag? A knife? Gun? Soon? Scott found what he was looking for, and he smiled with satisfaction as he hoisted his prize out of his bag. In his hand was a bottle of champagne. He popped the bottle open and poured a drink for his date. Clearly, it would be blasphemous to sip on some champagne without enjoying strawberries with it, right? Luckily for Scott, he had strawberries covered too. He had a box in his backpack. He whipped them out, and he popped a strawberry in each of their glasses. Scott was many things, a cheater, a liar, a soon-to-be murderer. Turns out, he also happened to be a cunning romantic. After champagne and strawberries, the pair headed off to dinner as planned. The date went smoothly, and once the night was over, Amber was back at the Radisson Hotel. Though this time, she was there for something more passionate than a glass of champagne. The date went so well that Amber and Scott planned a second. On that second date, they spent the afternoon hiking with Amber's daughter, and during that hike, Scott carried Amber's daughter for her. When they made it back to Amber's house, Scott whipped up a delicious seafood lasagna. At this point, it seemed to Amber like he had come straight out of a romance novel, and she fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. Here was a man who not only wanted to get to know her, but also wanted to care for her daughter. How could she resist? When she asked Scott if he had any kids of his own, he had said no. According to the stories that he was telling her, he had never been even close to having kids with anyone else. It's only later that Amber would come to realize that Scott said all of this while Lacey was pregnant and he had a son due to be born just two months later. Scott did eventually mention Lacey, just not in the way you'd think. On December 9th, during one of their dates, Scott started to cry. He tearfully confessed to Amber that he had lied to her. He said that he had actually been married before, but that he had lost his wife, that she passed away. According to this story, he's continuing to tell her this was about to be his first Christmas without her. Considering that at the time Lacey was alive and well, this lie just sets off all the red flags. Why would he have to come up with such an elaborate story of a wife who had passed away when He already had Amber's trust, and at this point, she trusted him so much that she'd even given him the keys to her house and let him pick her daughter up from school. As it turns out, 
there was some truth to his words. This would be the first time he would spend Christmas without his wife because just a few weeks later, the day before Christmas, Lacey would disappear. Was it just a tragic coincidence? Or was this the inception of a murderous plot that would rock the world? I think you already know the answer. The days before Christmas were nothing out of the ordinary for Lacey and Scott. On the 23rd, the couple went to Lacey's sister's salon for their monthly haircuts. Lacey's sister remembers their conversations being completely normal. Scott even offered to pick up a fruit basket for Lacey's sister the next day because he said he'd be playing golf in the same area. Later that evening, Lacey spoke to her mom on the phone. Nothing was unusual. It was just a normal day. Except this would be the last time that Lacey's mom ever heard her daughter's voice. From the moment Lacey's mom hung up the phone to the moment Scott called the police, the only one who can vouch for Lacey's actions is Scott. As we've already seen, Scott has an aversion to telling the truth, so perhaps it's best to take anything he says happened with a pinch of salt. Nonetheless, here's his version of events. According to Scott, when the couple woke up on Christmas Eve, they both had plans for the day. He says that Lacey planned on cleaning the house and taking the dog for a walk before running some last-minute holiday errands. But the story about what he was doing that day changed a couple of times. He did say that before he left the house, he filled a bucket of water up for Lacey so that she could clean the floors. At around 10.30 that morning, Lacey and Scott's neighbor saw their dog, Mackenzie, out in the yard by herself. The dog still had a leash on, but there was no trace of Lacey and Scott. And anyone who knew Lacey knew how much she loved that dog. She would have never left her beloved golden retriever out in the cold by herself. One of the neighbors also saw Mackenzie wandering the neighborhood by herself and placed the dog back into Lacey and Scott's yard. Then a few hours later, around 2 p.m., Scott was finally home. He said he saw Lacey's car in the driveway and saw the dog in the yard, but didn't see Lacey. Apparently not thinking much of it, Scott started a load of laundry and went to shower. A while later, Scott went over to his neighbor's house to ask if the neighbor had seen Lacey. The neighbor said they hadn't seen Lacey. And it was only later that this neighbor would remember that when he came asking for Lacey, Scott made sure to mention that he was golfing that day. Next, Scott called Lacey's mother. According to him, he thought that maybe Lacey had gone over to her mother's house. When Lacey's mother, Sharon, said that she hadn't heard from Lacey, Scott says he started to worry. At around 6 p.m., about seven hours after Scott says he last saw his pregnant wife, he filed a missing persons report with the police. So often we hear of cases where things were kind of dragged along when it came to missing persons cases, especially when the missing person is an adult. Police are sometimes reluctant to start an investigation right away when an adult goes missing because it's expected that the adult is free to come and go as they wish. Thankfully, sometimes the person is okay and is located. But Lacey's case was different. There were a few things that made the investigators immediately take notice when she was reported missing. First, Lacey's wallet, keys, and jewelry were all still in the house. There were certain pieces of jewelry that Lacey wore every single day. All of those pieces were still right where she left them. Secondly, Lacey's car was in the driveway of her house. Keep in mind, these are the days before an Uber or Lyft could just pick you up at the click of a button. If she didn't take her car and she wasn't with someone like her mom, then where could she be? Lastly, Lacey is like super pregnant and her mobility had decreased drastically after dealing with such a difficult pregnancy. The chances that she just wandered off somewhere were incredibly slim. Just like that, 
a full-scale investigation into Lacey's whereabouts was launched. Soon enough, the media caught wind and news of her disappearance blew up. In the days before Instagram and TikTok, this case essentially went as viral as it possibly could. It's always awful when someone goes missing, but again, Lacey's case was different. She was representing a particularly vulnerable group in society. And then there was Lacey's radiant smile. As her picture splashed across news broadcasts, her smile captured the hearts of America. Some would later say that it was her smile that turned this case into a media circus. And soon enough, everyone had an opinion on what could have happened to this beautiful, expectant mother. Considering Lacey's disappearance spurred such a visceral reaction in people who had no idea who she was, it was expected that Scott would be inconsolable. After all, how does somebody deal with the news that not just their wife is missing, but their unborn son is also missing and endangered? But no, detectives found it strange that Scott didn't really ask any questions. Detectives actually had even geared themselves for a barrage of questions from a grieving husband that they expected to encounter. Who could have done this? Where could she have gone? Will you call me as soon as you have anything? But no, Scott was strangely aloof. In fact, detectives remember thinking that Scott was a bit arrogant. He was distant, impatient, and didn't seem incredibly heartbroken at Lacey and his unborn son's disappearance. While everyone was giving Scott the side-eye, Lacey's family was actually defending their son-in-law. They thought that there was no way Scott could have had anything to do with Lacey's disappearance. Instead, at this time, they were of the belief that Lacey was being held captive by somebody who was waiting for her to give birth so that they could steal the baby. The town of Modesto was turned upside down in the search for Lacey. On the day she went missing, officials set up a wide ground search of the Dry Creek area. Helicopters searched from above, and people were out on boats and bicycles looking. There were even some police officers on horseback. Almost a thousand people showed up to help look for Lacey, but ultimately the search was fruitless. In growing desperation, a reward was announced. Anyone with information that would lead to Lacey's return would receive $500,000. An entire community of people was rallying around Lacey's family and her poor grieving husband. But all of this media frenzy had an unexpected result. Remember Amber Frey, the woman Scott had been on a date with just a few weeks before his wife disappeared? Well, one day at the end of December, Amber was telling a friend about the new guy she was dating. As she gushed about the new man in her life, this friend couldn't help but think the name Scott Peterson sounded familiar. Something about the name nagged at them. As the night went on, the friend finally remembered where she had heard that name. He was the guy from the news, the one whose wife was missing. After her friend told her about Scott from the news, Amber went home and searched up his name. And there he was, her Scott. But instead of the romantic bachelor she had met in Fresno, this was a married man with a baby on the way. The next day, Amber went to the police to let them know that she had been having an affair with Scott Peterson. When the police heard what Amber had to say, they convinced her to record all of her phone calls with Scott. By then, they had put two and two together. Scott was most likely involved in Lacey's disappearance, and they hoped he'd give them a clue as to where she was. Meanwhile, Lacey's family was still leading the campaign to find their daughter, and on New Year's Eve, they held a vigil. Candles twinkled in the night as mourners reflected on her life and held out hope that she and her unborn son would be found safe. More than a thousand people, Scott among them, turned up at the vigil that night, praying for Lacey, her family, and a husband that had lost everything. 
While they prayed, Scott made a phone call. He listened to the dial tone before finally a voice answered. It was Amber. While Lacey's family cried in anguish over their loved one's disappearance, yeah, Scott called his mistress, and the whole phone call was recorded. Scott told a story of how beautiful the New Year's celebrations in Paris were. He said he was in front of the Eiffel Tower and there was a massive crowd, which explained why there was so much noise in the background of the phone call. But Amber knew. She knew that the New Year's celebrations were actually a large group of mourners at a vigil coming to pray for his missing wife and unborn child. Once Scott was done talking to Amber, he continued with his grieving husband act. Unfortunately, he wasn't so good at keeping up appearances because Scott was photographed on multiple occasions smiling and smirking. We always say that there's no right way to grieve and that everybody grieves differently, but not many people who are going through what Scott's going through at this time would have been smiling through it. Suspicions that Scott had something to do with Lacey's disappearance only grew more as information came out. Police discovered that Scott had told a bunch of people that he had been playing golf the day that Lacey went missing. However, in the version he told police, he was out fishing at the Berkeley Marina on his new boat. There were a few other things about this story that made investigators raise an eyebrow too. When questioned about what he was fishing for or what kind of bait he used, Scott didn't have any answers. Also, no one seemed to know that Scott had purchased a boat. He started searching for a boat to buy around the time that he told Amber that his wife was dead. Police would later find out that Scott had also looked up information about water currents at the San Francisco Bay. In his internet search history, investigators also found proof that he had tried to sell a diamond watch that Lacey had inherited. At this point, police were heavily suspicious of Scott, but Lacey's parents still refused to believe that he had anything to do with her disappearance. Sure, they had started to grow suspicious of him after seeing how jovial he was at Lacey's vigil, but they wanted to believe that he was innocent. That is until police showed Lacey's family pictures that Scott and Amber had taken together. Pictures which confirmed that Scott had been having an affair. Their hearts sank as this sealed the deal that they knew Scott was the reason they would likely never see Lacey again. Meanwhile, the media frenzy around the family continued to swirl. And it became even more frenzied as Lacey's family and Scott did more and more television appearances. On January 17th, Lacey's family held a press conference. They looked straight into the camera and demanded Scott tell the investigators everything. Everything that he was hiding about Lacey's disappearance. Then a week later, Amber Frey held a press conference of her own, where she let the world know that she had been seeing Scott since November. And finally, a few days after that, Scott sat down for a televised interview, in which he claimed that Lacey knew all about his affair and that it wasn't anything that would ruin their marriage. Scott later did another sit-down interview with Diane Sawyer. It's hard to contemplate how he thought these interviews might help his case. Unsurprisingly, they had the complete opposite effect. The public thought Scott looked smug. At times, he would smile inappropriately or seem to be trying his best to look emotional. The public, the media, and even the police thought it was all an act. Everything came to a head on April 13th, 2003, now four months since Lacey was last seen. A couple was walking along the San Francisco Bay shore when they spotted something in the marsh. It was a tiny body. When they looked closer, they realized it was a late-term fetus. The baby boy lay in the marsh as if he had been birthed from the sea herself. 
a day later, the body of a woman that had been recently pregnant was found. She had been decapitated and was missing some limbs. DNA confirmed what the police already knew. Lacey and her baby had been found. When the autopsy was done on both Lacey and her baby, it was discovered her ribs were broken and she was missing most of her internal organs, with the exception of her uterus. The medical examiner concluded that the baby boy had probably died while still in Lacey's belly and then had burst out of her stomach at a later date. Finding a cause of death or time of death for Lacey and her baby was near impossible due to the decomposition, the time she had spent in the water, and Lacey's missing body parts. Once Lacey's body was found, police issued an arrest warrant for Scott. However, when they checked the tracker that they had placed on his car, they found that he wasn't in Modesto at all. In fact, he had made his way to San Diego, dangerously close to the Mexican border. Police knew that they had to act fast because if Scott made it across the border, they may never catch him. The day the DNA results came back confirming that the bodies they had found were Lacey and her baby, police arrested Scott. When he was found, he had bleached his hair and beard. He had a few odd items in his car, including $15,000 in cash, camping equipment, four cell phones, his brother's license, and Viagra. Scott was charged with two counts of first-degree murder and pleaded not guilty to all charges. The trial was highly publicized across the nation. Everyone in Modesto knew about the Lacey Peterson case, leading some to wonder if it was possible for Scott to get a fair trial with all this media hype. In the end, Scott was convicted for one count of first-degree murder for the murder of Lacey and second-degree murder for the murder of he and Lacey's unborn child. He was sentenced to death, but his death sentence was later commuted to life without parole. He has tried to appeal his conviction, but in 2022, Scott Peterson's petition for a new trial was denied. This case is one that is incredibly tragic, but sadly not uncommon. In fact, the leading cause of death for pregnant women is murder by a spouse. In the case of Lacey and her murderer, Scott, it turns out that Scott was deeply in debt and had taken out a life insurance policy on Lacey. Once again, we see the lengths that people will go just for a buck. Scott's own grandfather had died for just $200. Decades later, Scott murdered Lacey for $250,000. Scott's parents still hold the belief that he didn't have anything to do with Lacey's murder. As for Lacey's family, they are still trying to heal from the crippling trauma of losing Lacey and her unborn child. In 2018, Lacey's stepfather passed away. He was buried next to Lacey and her baby boy, a boy that she had already named before her murder, Connor. While baby Connor may have never been given the chance at life, his legacy lives on. It lives on through the Lacey and Connor Search and Rescue Fund. Lacey's mom set up the fund to help provide equipment and tools to law enforcement and nonprofit search and rescue organizations. Make sure you follow us on all of our socials at The Murder Diaries Pod. You can also listen ad-free with our new Apple Podcast subscription. So go ahead and click that subscribe button. And until then, stay safe. Bye. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.